Strength and growth come only through continuous effort and struggle. That is a quote by Napoleon Hill. This week, I will be speaking to a woman who has been through many struggles in her life, but she refuses to let them stop her. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello. Welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 12. The topic this week is use your voice and keep going. My guest this week is a woman by the name of Lisa Weems. Lisa is a retired U.S. Navy corpsman, a breast cancer survivor, and the host of the podcast Tables Parlay. Lisa is a woman of formidable strength I really enjoyed interviewing her and learning her story. She will inspire you. So sit back and enjoy the interview. Hi, Lisa. How are you today? Hi, Trina. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. So let's, let's get started. You and I have been talking, and we have found that we have several things in common. But just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Oh, well, I'm like you, um, a sailor. We're both, uh, well, me, I retired from the U.S. Navy after 23 years of honorable service and uh, a recent survivor of breast cancer and now, you know, very passionate about inspiring women to have a voice and so hopefully to be a voice for the voiceless. Okay. You know what? That is great. Yes, you and I are both sailors. I've been in the Navy, well, military 28 years. I started in the Army, did, yeah, did the Army for three years and then went on to the Navy and was a little E1 and worked my way up. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. So we both have that connection. But what made you decide to join the military? Um, well, um, the reason I joined the military, I was always a uh, creative, um, even before they uh, called it creative. I think millennials coined the phrase creative. Um, when I was in high school in the 80s, um, the late 80s, I, you know, I was the theater kid. I was the uh, writer. I was the one that was in the band. Uh, <laughs> um, and so um, I went to a performing arts school in Oklahoma City. Um, shout out to Northeast High School in Oklahoma City. <laughs> and um, I had sights on becoming a screenwriter, a filmmaker. I still am passionate about film. I'm still passionate about TV. Um, and in my high school years, I applied to University of Southern California and got accepted into their film school um, and was very excited about this transition into a community of creatives at that time, and then my mother fell ill, and uh, I could not go to the University of Southern California and wound up going to the University of Alabama at Birmingham at that time. And um, we fell on hard times, and um, I was the only one working and taking care of my mother, and um, I just fell into a place of depression when I was 19 years old, and I tried to commit suicide um, because I just was a creative and I couldn't create and I had to work and, and it just seemed like all the world was falling in. My mother was sick and I had all kinds of things going on. So I, I took a whole bunch of pills at the age of 19 and I thought I was going to die. I told God I'm done. And um, surprisingly, I woke up the next day. And um, I had dreams that I was in the military, which... That had to be a dream. I was like, God, I know that's a dream because I do not want to go to anybody's military. But it was God, I believe God, providential voice that gave me a way out. I think the scripture says that God will always provide a way of escape. And he did. He provided a way of escape. And I began a journey of seeking out which military branch to serve in. And um, 
Um, the only recruiter that called me back was the U.S. Navy. And uh, therein began my adventure and, and joining the world's greatest Navy and serving for these 23 years. I've been around the world, and I have served, I don't know, thousands of sailors and been blessed to train and mentor and lead. And so, yeah, that began my um, journey as becoming a medic in the U.S. Navy. Oh, wow. Very impressive. Um, I have a daughter who's a creative. She is actually very artistic, and she wants to continue that on. Um, that's amazing how you turn from being that creative um, person into turning going to the military being a medic. How difficult was it for you to switch from one passion that you had into this new life, this new career path that you were pursuing? Oh, understandable. Um, creatives, I think, when you are creative and you can't have that outlet or that flow, you feel stagnated, kind of dead in the water. And I think that was the cause for um, me wanting to commit suicide because I felt like I did not have that outflow of creativity. But also, I just want to explain to creatives and artists, you still got to pay bills. You still got to get out mm-hmm. there and work. And so, you know, I had to grow up. I was very young. I was in my early 20s, and my mother could not work, so I financially had to take care of her um, from the age of 18 on and and even to this day um, because of her health issues. So I had to grow up even though I had aspirations and dreams of being creative and writing great stories. So, yeah, that led me to um, a more pragmatic um, view of what I needed to do which was to take care of business at home. And um, the Navy allowed for me to develop skills, leadership skills, people skills, emotional intelligence, um, and serve in a way that um, will give, gave me the foundation um, so that now I can be creative but still be able to handle the business side as well. Great. Um, and I feel the exact same way that, you feel in, in joining the military at 19, and I, I feel the same way. It, it taught me some things that I had, but it in, increased that, that independence and that getting down to business and making yeah. sure you're accountable and doing what you're expected to, to do and mentoring and leading and doing it with excellence. So I think the military is um, – exceptional in in that way as far as the things that it can instill in you if you let it um we, we both bet. know that there's if you're right we both know that there's sometimes there's people that you come across that don't exactly um use the military and and take advantage of all the great opportunities that are presented to them you spoke about how you kind of had to grow up early because of your home situation and your mother falling ill which prompted you to go into the military. Now, would you say that that life experience hurt, hurt you or helped you in any way, or was it a combination of both? How do you look back on that period of time where you had to basically be the provider and come in and help your mom, and, and then you ultimately had to make that decision of, you know what, there's bills to pay and I need to join the military. How How... How would you say that time was for you? Um, That was a very difficult time. I I did not come from a very um, healthy background. Um, You know, I I had family members that had um, drug issues. I had family members um, that I lived in the same home, and they had mental health issues and emotional issues. Um, And all I can say is I know that there are young people out there just like myself who probably have worse um, worse. Um, situations than what I experienced. And when you're going through it, you you feel hampered by it, but you also, I think God uses that as a way also to build a great amount of empathy, a great amount of mercy in you um, for broken people. And um, and as I, I grew up with that, I have always been compassionate to people who have Um, issues and people who are hurting and people who are sick and people because I I was born through adversity. So, you know, um, I rested on the grace of God um, through prayer and just, 
You know, it built a, a certain intestinal fortitude in me. It built a certain uh, backbone in me. It built a certain strength in me to just keep going, which I still have that today. And um, and so, you know, it was a good thing. And, you know, the Bible says all things that work together to those who love the Lord and who are called to his purpose. So, you know, that is one scripture that I stood on um, in Romans 8, um, as a young lady, that it's all going to work for my good one day, and um, and it has. So I, I believe that it it is and it has worked for my good. To those listeners out there that are listening and may have family members or children who may be considering the military, what would you tell them? Um, I think... You know, the military is not for everybody. When I was in the military, I thought, you know, this is the greatest thing ever. You're paying me to do this, you know. But the military is not for everybody because it is a regimented lifestyle that you have to get up, you have to put your uniform on, you have to square it away, you have to be accountable, you have to not only lead, but you also have to learn how to submit. And some people have not matured to a level where they can submit. So um, in, in the Navy, we call it servant leadership. So you're a servant, but you also lead at the same time. You know, and even as when I was a leader in the military and I was an instructor, I would always say, you know, someone's always watching you. So what you do influences another person, whether it's good or bad. So pay attention to what you're doing. So, you know, I, I would encourage people, young people, if they felt like me, they were stuck and they had lost options in their lives, and they didn't know which way to go, I would seriously offer joining the military at least for two to four years to gain some footing in life, to gain some leadership skills, to gain some, you know, apprenticeship skills, and to travel the world. So, you know, it's a win-win situation joining the military. You just have to mature and grow up and, you know, allow your leaders to develop you. So, yes, I, I, I wholeheartedly offer it to most, but not to some. <laughs> <laughs> that That is so true. I totally agree. And you know what? I forgot to ask you. What was um, the highest rank that you achieved before you retired? Well, I know, I know that you're an officer, and I came in and listed, and I retired as an E6 because, uh, sadly, I did not make chief. I went up for chief mm-hmm. three times, and... Um, boarded, that means that you passed the test, but my I was not selected. You know, being a chief, you have to be selected among uh, what, 150, 200 master mm-hmm. chiefs to decide who is going to come into that good old boys network. And so I was never fit to come into the good old boys network. But, you know, I learned even as a first class or whatever rank you were, you're still a leader. And so you still have the ability to influence um, another person, another sailor, no matter what rank and what station you are in the military. So, you know, I did my best. I tried, and I was honored to be able to serve as long as I did. So, yes, E6 was the last rank. Well, you know what, there's there's no shame in that. You know, you served honorably, and I would just want to say thank you for your service because it, it but many people don't know, and it's something that I, you know, especially on Veterans Day, I always kind of put out on social media is um, freedom is not free. And it is not. Unless, exactly. And unless you have served, people don't know the things that we go through to serve this country. Um, and, you know, that sacrificing, I, I mean, I've, I'm a mother, I'm a single mother of two children, I, and I've missed birthdays and holidays yeah. and Mother's Days. And yeah. people don't realize that. But it's, it's something that's very special. And, you know, I came in and listed and, Retiring at E6 is no small feat because I actually I was at E6 before I got my commission. So touching on leadership, like you say, you know, it doesn't matter what rank you're in, the military kind of teaches you that whatever level you're at, you're a leader. But tell me some of your experiences as being a leader in the military as a female and whether good or bad, just give me some examples of your leadership experiences, how that work for you or didn't work for you, and how you handled some of those situations? Um, 
I've had so many situations as a female, and not only a female, but a woman of color in the United States Navy. Um, and um, I love being a woman because God has given us an innate ability to see the bigger picture in any situation. I just remember being in rooms and being at tables where I was the only female and the only female and happened to be black. And especially in an environment that's military, you know, people typically are not going to listen to your point of view um, because of whatever perspective they have about a woman in the military. There are still people who still have problems with women in the military, and they still have, there are people who have problems, I discovered, of people of color in the military. So I always had to have the blowback of speaking boldly and assertively um, and telling the truth and uh, being perceived as being um, the mean, angry black woman or being uh, aggressive or being a bitch, you know. I had to grow up and realize truth is truth, and if it's to the point it's going to actually help a sailor or um, it's going to prevent somebody from being harmed, I don't care if I'm going to be perceived in a negative light. Truth is truth, and this is for the benefit of somebody else. So in in that regard, yes, I've always had to step up to the plate and not just be a woman at the table or a woman in the room, but be the leader and do what's right, because right is still right at the end of the day. So funny, like I said, this is I'm listening to you talk, and I'm thinking you sound exactly like me because mm-hmm. I have been asked that question and gave the similar answer that you just gave about being the the highest ranking thing in the room, being a female, and then being a woman of color. That's mm-hmm. the whole big ball oh, left there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's funny because a couple of years ago, I actually got to meet Admiral Michelle Howard and brought her out to Houston to um, speech. She kind of gave some of the similar stories as far as early in her career, how she was going through things and being the woman of color and being a female. And she said at one point it got so bad that she called home to her mom basically crying and saying, you know, I don't know if I'm going to continue on with this. And her mother said, look, You know, if you want to be that person to make a difference, you're going to have to go through this and overcome it. Yeah. And that's what she did. And we see how that turned out, right? So we have um, the first black female four-star admiral. So it's a good thing that she did what she did. And it's a good thing that you continued on. But when when you realize how people would act towards you or respond to you because you were a woman and a woman of color. How did you handle those times? Um, Initially, when I first joined um, the military, I I was immature about it. I took it personally, and and I had an emotional response. And then I would go home and internalize it. And, you know, um, I would speak with it with my mom or my family, and then, you know, um, as I grew, uh, I got a tough skin because at the end of the day, right is right and wrong is wrong. And you, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. You have to be the best leader you can be to do what's right and to speak truth to power no matter who's in the room or who's at the table. And so, you know, uh, I learned to not take it personal, um, even in the face of racism, sexism, or just the person just didn't like you, um, or they felt you had no rank, or they felt you were whatever, I had to always speak truth to power and do what's right, because right is right at the end of the day. So um, in time, I would tell women who are out there, you know, don't let anyone take your voice. And I think uh, um, women were coming into a, a time where, Um, you know, women like yourself, the more that you lend voice to others, uh, women will will feel more free to speak up and be that voice at the table or that voice in the room. So, you know, there was a time when women could not speak. Um, We were rendered voiceless. So, you know, um, I am thankful for podcasts like yourself that um, lend voice to women so that women can speak up. So, Thank you for that. Um, that that says a lot. I'm gonna just 
go back a little bit um, to earlier what you said you suffer from about a depression when you were younger. And I did an episode on self-care and depression was one of those things. And I've actually had, you know, about a depression myself. What do you do to keep yourself in a good space, to keep yourself from maybe experiencing depression, or how do you come out of it so that you know that, you know what, this is not all for, you know, all that I have coming to me. How do you keep yourself motivated? I think that, you know, my circumstances as a child, I grew up in a family of three brothers, and um, my mother was a single mother. And so, you know, the thing about black women, um, black mothers, um, they are the most loyal, hardworking people in the earth. Um, if you give anything to a black woman, she's going to get it done. And so, you know, the downside to that is um, a lot of times um, black women suffer um, as they try to hold everything together because they're the last to take care of themselves. They're the last to render self-care. And as a result, you know, um, the single mother will continue on with depression, will continue on not taking care of their health. And so that happened in my home. My mother took care of four kids by herself, um, and I was the only girl in the house, and I just watched my mother work several jobs. Um, my mother was a victim of domestic violence. Um, she overcame that and kept going, never got counseling or anything, but there was always food on the table. There was always a roof over my head. I always had clothes you know, and at the detriment of her own health, you know. And so she suffered from depression for 25-plus years, which she still suffers from it today. Um, and as a child growing up, I observed, and, and because I observed, I learned how to um, discern how to render self-care for my own self. Um, just watching how my mother navigated through life, I learned how not to fall into depression. Now, we're going to always have times of or seasons where we may feel low because life sometimes gets and takes a bite out of you, and, and you may have seasons where you're low or depressed. Um, and But it's when depression stays with you for two weeks or four months. It's like um, you're not wanting to go outside. You don't want to see the light of day. You don't want to bathe. Um, your hair hurts, you know, you don't even want to brush your teeth. That's when it becomes chronic. Um, and I think just the cares of life can become so overwhelming that you lose yourself. So I learned early on, you know, what works for me. And what works for me is I like exercise. So I, I, I will exercise because exercise releases endorphins. I also learned to eat better because eating better um, actually affects your mood. So if I'm filled with a lot of fat and sugar and, and things that are not healthy for me, um, I'm probably not going to feel the best. Um, also, you know, my spiritual walk, you know, I, I needed to get around, um, um, you know, people that have a strong faith and who can speak to my faith and, and strengthen my faith. And so your faith and your spiritual walk is important. Um, and just good fellowship, fellowship with people who um, who are funny and people who have joyful spirits. Um, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So I knew if I didn't have any joy in my life, um, I wouldn't have any strength, and strength to just get through the day or strength to just get through the week. And so um, oftentimes I'll just fellowship with people who have a joyful spirit so that I can stir up my joy. Um, and so those are things that have worked for me. But, again, life happens, and, you know, there are different triggers for different people. So for my mother, she's lost a lot of family members. So certain times of the year, especially holidays, you know, you know triggers is, you know, people who have died during the holidays. A lot of people suffer from grief during the holidays. So, you know, um, that could be a trigger. So you just got to be cognizant of what your triggers are and work around those triggers and practice self-care. Well, thank you. Um, I totally agree. Now, since we're on the topic of self-care and health and things like that, you are a breast cancer survivor. Praise God. <laughs> yes, yes, um, definitely, because, you know, sometimes, a lot of times many people don't survive it, but you have survived it. And if you don't mind, can you go in 
to talking about, you know, your breast cancer diagnosis, how it affected you mentally, spiritually, spiritually as well as the physical. Um, just take us through a little walk with that, whatever you want to share. Tell us the outcome and how you, how you stay motivated because, I mean, you sound very um, positive. You seem very positive, and that's one of the things I like about you, and I try to surround myself with positive people because, as you said, life happens, and, but it's just how you handle them. And a, a diagnosis with breast cancer, and I believe you also said you had another form of cancer. So mm-hmm. just, just um, walk us through that if you don't mind. Yes. Um, so I, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2017, actually. Um, July of 2017, last year, I woke up and um, my breast was red and swollen. You know, there are different signs of breast cancer, and one of them is when your breast is red and swollen. Your breast should not ever be red and swollen. Um, it also itched. Your breast should not itch. So um, that's another sign of breast cancer. Um, discharge from the breast, um, changes in the skin of the breast. Those are all some signs of breast cancer. So long story short, I went to the doctor in July of 2017. They did an ultrasound, which is the normal protocol when you suspect that there's a lump in the breast. And they suspected that it was just a cyst. Um, um, and they did a, matter of fact, they did a mammogram that same day in July, and they said it was normal. And so no one thought anything. They just wanted to watch it. So they watched it for four months, and it kept going, growing and growing until um, after the fourth month I said, you know what, I'm going to use my voice and I'm going to take charge. And I told the doctor, I said, listen, it's growing. It's been four months. This could be cancer. I want a biopsy. So, you know, women out there, if you suspect you have a lump, a breast, and you feel like you're not getting the proper care, please use your voice and speak up. You have all control. I took control and I said, you know, it's been four months. This lump is growing. You need to biopsy it. Biopsy is like part of the protocol to um, confirm or deny whether the tissue is indeed cancer. So they biopsied, they stuck a needle in the mass to determine if it was cancer. And that was in October of 2017. And 24 hours they called me at work and confirmed, yes, indeed, it was ductal carcinoma. Ductal carcinoma is a form of breast cancer where your breast has ducts like milk ducts. And so I had cancer in the breast duct of my breast. What was strange is I've never had cancer. My family does not have breast cancer, um, and we did DNA testing. I'm not susceptible to breast cancer, so it really was a shot out of darkness. Where did it come from? And so therein began the whole journey, a flurry of doctors and pathologists and breast surgeons and plastic surgeons. And long story short, January 2018, matter of fact, Last year this time, uh, I had a mastectomy where they removed the breast and they did reconstruction of the breast. Um, after testing, they determined that my lymph nodes did not have the cancer, thank God, um, and I was a uh, level three breast cancer um, patient. And so they caught it in time, thank God. Um, once it gets to level four, level um, it's usually in your lymph nodes and in your bones, which is um, a lethal level where they usually give you chemotherapy or radiation. So thank God they caught it in time. Um, but the it wasn't so much losing my breast and having the breast reconstructed. I had to deal with the psychological after effects of now my body was different. You know, I had all these scars. Why did this happen to me? And then came the depression because when you have something as um, challenging like that happen to you, it can wear on you mentally and psychologically. And um, I really had to seek help. I encourage those who go through um, breast cancer or any type of cancer, please seek counseling, seek therapists. It is okay to seek therapy, seek counseling. It is not a sign of weakness. Um, and so that was tremendous in helping me to navigate um, that season of post-operative um, breast cancer surgery. 
Um, I had a little bit of complication afterwards where my immune system um, was suppressed as a result of breast cancer's um, medication and was put in the hospital several times to try to get my white blood cells back up. That was a kick um, psychologically as well as I'm, I like to exercise and keep my rhythm of my life and pattern of exercise, work, school, you know. And then when you're sick all the time, you kind of are like beached at the shore. You can't go anywhere until your body uh, responds. So I had to learn to rest and trust God as he healed my body. Um, And um, spiritually, um, I learned um, just to rest in God, which is hard because when you're ambitious and you're used to getting up and going and you're a doer, type A personality, it's very difficult to just sit and be still. Um, God says to be still and know that he, he's working it all for your good, right? But for me, it was, it was a lesson in patience and learning to just rest in him as he healed my body. So uh, I learned a lot in the breast cancer uh, process, um, but I learned to just rest and to just be still. You know, that is one of my, my main things I tell myself is be still. When things are starting to get crazy, I try to just be still and rest in God and knowing that what he has for me, he has for me, and he's going to work everything out for my good. So I, I, I do that as well. But it's something you said to me that kind of bothers me, and it's the fact that you had to tell the physicians to do a biopsy. Yes, I did. And that's crazy because here they are supposedly the professionals, and, you know, they were just, you know, sending you home, you know, whatever, and you had to say, no, you know, there's something more wrong, and it just goes to show that our instincts are correct. Yes. And we have to be our own advocates. Yes, yes, yes. So that's why I said women, use your voice in your, in, in your medical care, especially with a heavy diagnosis of breast cancer. Don't ever think that the doctor is in control. No, you are in control because it's your body, so use your voice. Um, doctors, you know, I understand with their training, they're used to protocols, and, you know, I did not meet the protocol. I was young. I was, uh, had uh, my DNA did not point to having a, a being predisposed to have cancer. No one in my family had breast cancer. So they're thinking, oh, no, she's not a candidate. This is not cancer. This has just got to be inflammation of the breast or mastitis. And, you know, so that's what they were going with is what they had formerly seen. But my instinct was telling me, no, this is cancer. And so I had to ultimately say, look, this is what you're going to do because this is my body. And so I want to encourage women out there, use your voice, use your instincts, speak up, because time is of the essence when it comes to breast cancer or any cancer. You want to um, attack it head on as soon as you see the symptoms. Time is at hand. So, yes. Yes, and the time, you know, speak up, but then also go for those well women, you know, your checkups every year. Um, That's very important. And, And there's so many women out there who don't because whether they're afraid of going to a doctor or maybe they don't have adequate medical coverage, but I, as you and I spoke, my mother and my aunt both died of breast cancer, and because of that, I'm up on my mammograms. And it's funny because what you said as far as no family history, my aunt, you know, was diagnosed with breast cancer first, and we were all saying, how did this happen? Because there was no history of breast cancer in our family. So we just, she was totally the anomaly. We didn't know how that happened. Yeah. And then several years later, um, my mother was diagnosed. But yeah. it's, and, and this is going back to what you're saying about being your own advocate, you know, doing the self-care. But it's funny because when my mother was diagnosed, she was at stage four. Wow. But, yeah, but, you know, her diagnosis could have been better because, like you said, there were symptoms, and she had symptoms, but she didn't want to go to the doctor because she was thinking, 
oh, they're just going to, you know, it's going to be like, I'm going to be like my sister. And they had told her, look, we need to redo your mammogram. And she was refusing to go back because she was like, nope, I don't want to know if I got something. And then it finally got to a point where she couldn't wash herself in the shower that she decided, oh. okay, I have to go to the doctor. Oh my so everything that you were saying is so true and so important, and it just stresses how imperative it is to, one, know your body, be your own advocate, because sometimes these doctors, you know, like you said, they're going by book theory, and a lot of, a lot of them are rushed, and they may say, oh, well, this person is this age or this race, so that's not, you know, is common for them. Or they may just be trying to get to the next patient and don't give you the time that you are needing, but you have to be that person to say, you know what, this is how I feel. And if, if one doctor is not giving you what you need, go to someone else. Yes. And I, I want to stress for um, women of color, you know, um, according to breastcancer.org, um, black women, a woman of color, are more susceptible to high cases of breast cancer than any other ethnicity. So it's imperative as African-American women to make sure you constantly keep, you know, checkups with your breasts, with mammograms, um, your blood pressure, um, diabetes, honestly, because we're affected the most in America. Um, um, I think it says here in the statistics one out of eight women um, will develop breast cancer um, in their lifetime. So, you know, breast cancer is on the rise, especially for the African-American community. And so, you know, if anything I could tell African-American women, please, please, please make sure you do your breast exams um, often and make sure that you keep up with your mammograms. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I thank you for reiterating that um, for all the women out there, especially the women of color, the black women, go see your doctor. Something feels off and it's not right get it checked out. Um, and this is going to, I'm going to ask you about, you know, you ultimately had to have a mastectomy. How has, how has this whole breast cancer experience, for lack of a better word, how has it changed you, good or bad? Um, what's your outlook on life now? It's changed me, um, Tremendously, um, and that it um, revealed a depth in me that I didn't think I had, um, and that um, I was always somebody that was about fitness, um, health, and eating right, and I honestly, I never even, to be honest, I'll be honest with you, I never even to take up the cause of breast cancer because it was not in my sphere. It, it did not affect my household. It did not affect me. Um, and it, when it affected me, it really made me sober about um, the, the fragility of life, how fragile life is. And, um, and so, if anything, it taught me how precious life is and um, it taught me about how important it is to have good health Health is more important than wealth, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, it taught me to live. And so, you know, a lot of times when you're ambitious, you're just living from goal to goal to goal. You're trying to meet goals and you're driven, and then you don't learn to live. And so I mm -hmm. learned to just live my life fully and be in the moment, love my family deeper, um, travel, you know, more than I did in the military, um, and just really be in the moment and enjoy life and live because life is so fleeting and life is so fragile. Wow. Yes. Um, and, you know, and I, I haven't experienced um, the physical traumatic things that you have, but I've experienced other things in life that brought me to that same conclusion that life is precious and that <laughs> – I want to live life, and I want to live it to my fullest because life is not, you know, it's not promised to us. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it's not promised. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but, you know, and, and like you said, it's, you get so, because I'm a very driven person, and I, for a long time in my life I was trying to, you know, achieve the next level, go to the next level in my career, 
you know, just do that, what you think is success. But when you actually look at it, and especially when you experience something traumatic as far as your health or anything else in your life that makes you sit back and take stock, you realize that, yes, your health is, you know, worth more than wealth. And being with family, those things are the things that are really important in life. And those are the things that you need to focus on, not all these superficial things that are external to other people that people are going to be on the outside looking in, but the things that are within you that are really um, deep for you and your family. So that is, um, that was just, that was profound there. I really, I really love what you said because I, I totally, I totally agree. Amen. That's good. Now, Lisa, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit because we've been pretty um, serious. What about now? You have a podcast. I do. Tables Parlay. Uh huh. Okay. So, talk about that. Tables Parlay. Um, the podcast came out of um, truthfully from the breast cancer because I felt like um, after I had the surgery, I just was sitting at home and you know, kind of was wallowing in self-pity and, you know, you can't get anything in life being in a puddle of self-pity. So, you know, um, I said, you know what, let me get up, let me use my voice and let me hopefully speak to um, women or speak to whoever may hear, you know, and in that strength came. And so I just pretty much used my voice and, and despite my circumstance, to, you know, to inspire others um, who may be going through similar struggles. Okay. So is it kind of like your own diary, so to speak? Tables Parlay um, is um, this year, uh, last year, 2018, because we're in 2019, 2018 it was about me and my journey and hopefully inspiring others out of my brokenness, um, hopefully inspiring others, you know, strength and and what I went through throughout the year. Um, And so it's called Tables Parlay, um, basically coming to the table to talk about um, life, challenges, um, culture, um, parlay, um, one of the definitions of parlay, that means to take something insignificant and make it significant. So the conversations that are spoken in the podcast, hopefully it can be translated into something um, significant and um, inspiring. So that's why it's called Tables Parlay. Great. I love it. And you know what? And I, I think you will inspire because you have inspired me through all that you've been through. Do you consider yourself a strong woman? Um, I would just say my faith is strong. Um, you know, to sit here and say that I'm this, uh, because I've endured some serious challenges in my life and lots of loss in my life, uh, to say that I'm strong. I wouldn't say that. I would say that my faith in God um, is strong. And many what people don't know is that just because people may perceive you to be strong, um, you know, wow, she's so strong, wow, she's so inspiring. But what they don't know is behind scenes we are crying and we are weeping in the night. Um, we are um, on our faces before God asking for strength to get through another day. Um, and we are at times scared and we at, at times don't know what to do, but it is God and his grace that, um, you know, strengthens our backs and gives us strength in our legs and helps us put one foot in front of the other to continue on. So I, I wouldn't say I'm strong. I would say that he's strong in me. God is strong in me and my faith in him is, is strong to um, get through another day. And so that's the whole purpose of Tables Parlay, that's the whole purpose of my mission is to encourage people to keep going. And um, as you keep going, someone is always watching and you're inspiring others to, you know, just to keep going. Yes. So that was very motivational, what you just said. But if you could leave anything else, what is the one motivational takeaway that you want? the listeners to go away with? 
um, in life, you're going to have challenges. Um, you're going to have loss. Um, you may have some health challenges, um, but um, as um, the Bible says, all things will work together for your good. Um, just keep going and use your voice to help those who sit in darkness um, and shed light um, on the situation so they have a path to come out of darkness. Um, so the one takeaway is keep going, use your voice and so that you can shed light to help people come out of darkness. Um, and that's my biggest motivational thing that I would hope for them. Before we wrap up, what I like to do is I like to ask 10 questions. So who or what motivates you? Who or what motivates me? Um, um, I would say just not giving in to circumstances. So um, not letting the devil win. <laughs> okay. So mm -hmm. being positive. Being positive. Okay. So what demotivates you? What demotivates me? Um, fear. Um, doubt. Um, fear and doubt, they demotivate me. So I try not to feed my fear or feed my doubt. So fear and doubt is probably the two things that demotivate me. Okay. So when was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Oh, it's so many. Um, oh, it's so many. Uh, I remember joining the military because prior to joining the military uh, many, many moons ago, um, I, I tried my hand at modeling. So um, when I joined the military, those who knew me who thought I was the pretty girl that modeled, um, you're never going to make it in the military. You're never – they're going to eat you alive in the military. And here I am, 23 years, honorably um, retired, thank God, and I made it. Not only made it, I thrived. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is your fear? What is my fear? Um, my greatest fear is not fulfilling God's purpose of why he made me in the first place. So that is, uh, I think that's everyone's purpose is to find um, the purpose that God created us here on the earth. And so, you know, I don't want to go to the grave still filled with, with purpose. I want to be mm. empty when I go to the grave. So, mm. Okay. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Oh, and the time I did something um, that I didn't, um, yes. That was many, yes. I think every person has that in their lives. But I would have to say, you know, the opportunity when I was um, accepted into University of Southern California Film School and my mother forbid me to go, I, and I obeyed, I think um, – I, I kind of regret that. Um, I, I should have just been disobedient and just went ahead and, <laughs> went ahead and did it. But, that, but you, know, you know, the military thing did work out for me. But, yeah, I would probably say that that would probably be the one thing. Okay. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? I had not done. Oh, well, we have tons of that, things we wish we had not said um, to certain people. Um, there are certain friendships that I have opened myself up and being vulnerable and sharing some of my uh, vulnerabilities with the wrong people and they used it against me. Yeah, you know, those mm -hmm. types of things. Okay. What is your definition of success? Um, completely fulfilling God's purpose um, for you, um, what he created you to be. And um, day to day, if I can um, hopefully help someone, inspire someone day to day at my job or in my family or at the grocery store, that's successful for me. Okay. How do you recharge? 
how do I recharge? Now, I am a extrovert, so I get energy from people. Um, but um, the issue with that is I give out too much, and then I wind up get, being just overwrought with exhaustion and tired and sick. And so I've learned in the season after breast cancer to slow down. So how I recharge is I literally come home, I cut my phone off, I cut the TV off, and I just really kind of just enjoy, honestly, I'll take an hour every day and just be in silence and just be still, meditate, pray, and just um, unhinge from all the sensory overload that I have endured throughout the day. So to recharge means to just unplug from everything and just be still for about an hour um, and um, just pray and meditate. Okay. What are you awesome at? Um, what am I awesome at? Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm awesome at a lot of different things, but um, I know for a fact I'm awesome at seeing potential in other people and drawing it out and helping them to see their potential. I know that I have that one of those gifts. I have many gifts, but that's one gift I know God has given me. Okay. And to um, round out the question, what legacy do you want to leave? What legacy do I want to leave? Um, she caused trouble, but she changed the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. You know, it's funny because I, I'm looking here on my desk, and I have this this plaque that I bought, and it says, Well-Behaved Women Rarely Make History. All right. There it is. There you have it. <laughs> You got to call the trouble to change the world. You got to do it. I agree. I agree. Okay, Lisa. So before we leave, um, where where can um, our listeners find you? Oh, my podcast is located on Anchor.fm slash Lisa Weems, and you can download the Anchor app on all social media um, app stores. Um, I am also on IG under Lisa Bisa 4 and my blog is um, called Tables Parlay. It is at www.tablesparlay.com. Okay. Well, that is going to wrap up our episode for this week, and we thank you guys for listening. If you're looking for a speaker for your live event or conference, go to my website and read my bio and contact me at bit.ly forward slash book Trina. I hope you have a great week. Until then, remember, if you change your mindset, you'll change your life. Keep striving. Success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.